the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 970 presents Eye on Real Estate. This is your premier source for real estate information. From the hot properties in the tri-state to the latest in real estate market trends. From mortgage news to answers to all of your real estate questions, you'll be in the know with help from the experts. Call now, 866-970-9622. 866-970-9622. Now, here's your host for Eye on Real Estate, Douglas Elliman's CEO, Dottie Herman. We're back. You're listening to Ion Real Estate. I'm Dottie Herman. And we are thrilled to have, as I told you in the beginning of the show, Bernard, as I'll call him Bernie, though, Bernard, <laughs> Bernard Carrick. And uh, Bernard Carrick was the 40th police commissioner of New York City under Mayor Rudolph Giuliani on August 21st of 2000. His stewardship of the police department in the aftermath of the September 11, 2001 attacks on the World Trade Center brought him to national attention, for which he was awarded the prestigious Medal of Valor. He now runs the Carrick Group, providing security and counterterrorism consulting services, crisis management, homeland security solutions, and police and criminal justice. And obviously, and he's big on prison reform strategies, including... Compassionate Relief, which you'll have to tell me what that is. Um, he is also the author of a New York Times bestseller and chilling novel called The Grave, about the, the looming threat of another orchestrated attack of America. So, if you have questions for Bernie, uh, you can call in at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622. And if you're driving or if you're in a place that, or you're going to stream this later, um, if you send us, uh, you send us to follow us on Twitter or send it to me uh, at DottieHerman.com or Radio Show at Element, I will make sure to get them to Bernie. Uh, again, we don't want you driving and writing. Okay. Hi. And we're, hi, Bernie. <laughs> and we're so thrilled to have you here. Thank you. Okay. So I don't know where to begin because you have so much I could ask, and everybody here wants to ask questions, and I'm sure the audience wants to, the people listening wants to. But you've spent 30 years in policing and security? About 30 years, about 35 years. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Now, I understand that 10 years of that was in the Middle East? Yeah. Um, I worked um, actually for the royal family of Saudi Arabia wow. back in 1978 wow. to 1980, uh, 1982 to 84. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, back then, nobody knew, especially in 78, nobody had any idea what Saudi Arabia was, yeah. where it was. I remember I went home. I told my father, I'm going to Saudi Arabia to work. And he was like, Arabia? Yeah, he says, I... I saw it in a movie one time, Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence. That was like that was like the most he knew, you know. Um, yeah, so I, I worked. Uh, I was in the region for four years. Uh, I worked for the King of Jordan for five years. Wow. Uh, I built their crisis management center. Uh, I built a 
super maximum security prison uh, for Jordan. And I was also the interim minister of interior for Iraq after the fall of Saddam Hussein. So uh, I've spent many years What was that like for you? Or was that like a life-changing... You you know what? uh, Being in Iraq, uh, especially after the fall of Saddam, was was an eye-opening experience, to say the least, because you got to witness um, the damage, the destruction, the death, the devastation that this guy was involved in. Mm -hmm. You know, and everybody at the time, they were all worried about the weapons of mass destruction. Uh, I I came away from that experience with a different uh, perspective, and that is there was one weapon of mass destruction in Iraq, and it was Saddam Hussein. Mm. And he should have been relieved. Uh, He should have been uh, removed, and uh, and he was. Now, Bernie, this is not really a pleasant subject, but, you know, you say, well, this is pleasant, but you say that there is no safer city than in in the U.S. than New York, which I do believe. I agree. Right. I agree. Well, listen, you know, things have changed. Uh, You know, this was not a safe city back in 19, in the 90s, in the 80s. Uh, You know, you were here. uh, You know what it was like pre-Giuliani. In, in 1994, uh, Rudy Giuliani took over uh, as the mayor, and he basically had a, a perspective on the city that nobody wants to work, visit, live, or come to visit a place where they don't feel safe. And he said, you know, in order for us to create economic development, in order, us, uh, in order for us to have great real estate value, you have to reduce crime. Nobody's going to live here. Nobody's going to want to buy real estate here if you don't reduce crime. And uh, and that was his focus and that was his mission. And for every percentage point, we reduced violence and murder. You could see increases in tourism, real estate value, economic development yeah. to the point, you know, during 9-11, up until, up until September 11th itself, up until that day, we had the highest tourism in the history of the city. Uh, the highest real estate values, uh, economic development was off the charts, and it was all a result of that massive crime reduction, which is kind of strange because other cities around the country have not still today, Chicago, Baltimore, Milwaukee, uh, St. Louis, they haven't learned the lessons of the Renaissance of New York, mm-hmm. and, uh, and they should have. What, yeah. what, what would you do in Chicago? I'm just curious. What would you do differently? You lent me the money. But I borrowed probably $72 million after 9-11. So it was the year that we were expecting a second terrorist attack, if you recall. And my banker is like, Dottie, am I insane lending you this money? Uh, We would be negotiating and uh, have to leave because we were on orange alert. Uh, And I said, listen, if they blow up the city again, it's over. And I'll have signs Hamptons that way. But the truth is they had faith in the city. And I have to say the city really pulled it together. And I think that gained a lot of respect after 9-11. You know, you know what? I, I don't think – I think that's one thing. There, there's two things that the American people um, don't realize. Um, first and foremost, the first responders of New York City on September 11th effected the greatest rescue mission in the history of this country. They took twenty-five to 30,000 people out of those buildings and the surrounding oh, wow. buildings, but they evacuated. They evacuated more than a million people out of southern Manhattan, 
If you remember the Brooklyn Bridge, if you remember the Queensboro Bridge, people leaving Manhattan, yeah. Yeah. going into Jersey, getting people out of the city into the four boroughs was a massive operation, and it went smoothly, effortlessly. Um, they did a phenomenal job. That uh, they did. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and, and nobody, you know, people forget that. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that's extremely important is that um, the resilience of the people of New York City. I think, you know, that in itself talks a lot about humanity. It talks about um, the, the, the citizens of New York. When you saw the devastation, the damage, the death that was down here firsthand and close up and personal, you would, you would in your mind, you would almost think, you're never bouncing back from this. Mm-hmm. It's never going to happen. But the reality is it did happen. And it happened quickly. It happened fast. Yeah. It, you know, we, we with Dick Rosso, uh, we actually opened the stock exchange in a week. Wow. On wow. September 17th, yeah, that was People thought yeah. we, uh, <clears throat> we bounced back, uh, went into the stock exchange, got it open, got it up and running. Um, it, was, it was an amazing time. You, well, it was an amazing job yeah. that you, yeah. you you did, and truthfully, as I said, I don't really see. I I think that everyone learned an example because I watched New Yorkers say they're not leaving. Yeah, well, listen down uh, here, down here, uh, you know, Battery Park. You had people that were they lived here. This was their home. Um, you know, they got transplanted for a period of time. But when the time came and the cleanup was done, you know, they all came back. Yeah. And, and they came back in a big way. You know, I've got friends down here in, in the real estate industry, uh, Metroloft, uh, Nathan Berman, um, you know, has created an empire down here of residential housing. Yeah. It's right, uh, you know, Wall Street, uh, w- Water Street, uh, yeah. Broad Street. Um, it, there's been a massive boom. And like I said, this all goes back to the, you know, the resilience of, of New Yorkers. Can I ask you, as a, as a you know, a lifelong police uh, officer, and um, obviously your perspective is a little different, I'm always interested to hear how uh, police officials, you know, view handguns in, in this country. Because, you know, you guys are the ones that have to walk into these houses and not know what's in there. And, you know, New Zealand took, a, took them a week to uh, make tremendous changes after the horrible event there well how do you feel about it here i mean it's got to be very frustrating uh, you know to be a policing in policing and and uh have the number of guns that we have in this country is it frustrating as a police officer honestly uh, i've i've been in the business so long and and dealt with this type of stuff um you know I don't know music that, playing. <laughs> that was not intended for your answer. So I, uh, you know, I'm a big supporter of of the Second Amendment. Uh, I believe in it. I, I strongly support it. Um, in my view on guns in general, ninety nine point nine percent of the time, we don't good guys with guns. That's not the guys I'm worried about. Those aren't the guys that I'm afraid of. Uh, I'm afraid of, you know, bad guys that get guns and do bad things. Um, You know, in New York City, in all my time as a New York City cop, uh, and this is a true statement, I never ran into a problem with somebody with a gun that had that gun legally. Uh, Every gun I took off the street, every robbery, every, you know, Mm -hmm. homicide or attempted murder, uh, everything I did involving bad guys with guns 
those guns were obtained illegally. Uh, they were bad guys with guns. I never ran into a problem with a good guy with a gun. So, uh, th- and that's my personal view. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Bernie, and by the way, um, uh, we're at Ion Real Estate, and we have Bernie Carrick, the the ex police commissioner, but he was the pl- police commissioner through nine eleven. Um, consultant, author. I mean, he's done it all. Um, so, call us at eight six six nine seven zero nine six two two. If you have any questions for him, or you can send them to us at radio show at element dot com. Uh, did we learn anything from nine eleven? Yeah, a- absolutely. And here's here's what I think we learned most, and, and a lot of this has to do with the real estate industry. Um, you have to be preemptive and proactive when it comes to security solutions, when it comes to crisis management preparedness. When it comes to disaster response, um, when you think of what happened to Katrina in New Orleans, um, they had four, they had five, let me see, they had about six or seven days advance notice that there was going to be a massive storm and those levees could go. When the storm got there and the levees went, there was mass chaos. There was no planning, no preparation, no nothing. On September 11th at 8.46 on that morning, was the first time I realized, or the mayor realized, we were under attack. Mm. How did yeah, like just, yeah, how, did, just how did you just, guys react? How did yeah. you like? When did you? Eight forty six. I'm not sure. Was that when the first hit? first plane? First plane. When the first plane hit Tower One, I was actually in my office. I was, I just finished working out. I was standing in my bathroom shaving, and my chief of staff came to the door, banging on the door that a plane had just hit Tower One. And I thought it was a small plane. I thought it would be a Cessna or something until I looked at a TV that was above my treadmill. And when I did, I could see the damage to the building and realized that was not a small plane. Um, I went down to the scene. I told the mayor I would meet him down on Vesey Street um, across from Tower 7. That's where our command center was. And when I got there, uh, we actually couldn't get onto the block because people were jumping they were jumping from Tower One, and they were landing on Vesey. They were landing in the courtyard. Um, they were exploding on on top of the awnings, uh, Tower Tower Two. Um, that to me was the most disturbing uh, part of it. Just yeah, having to watch those. those well, listen in, in the first in the first several minutes uh, when we got down there, I know some of these visuals have been on TV, but in that first, probably the first ten to twelve, fifteen minutes after the first plane, we watched. I watched dozens of people jump. Mm, dozens. Um, and then I was there when the second plane actually slammed through the north side of the tower, too. So when you see that big orange fireball blow out mm-hmm. the north side of the tower, mm. I was standing in front of that building when wow. it happened. Now, let me ask you, because for myself, it was so surreal because you, we never believed anything like that could ever happen. Were you, like, you were in a different place. Did you, did you like... Was it surreal to you? I mean, obviously, you just did what you had to do, but... Like, um, what's going on in your head while all of that is going on? You know what? uh, Listen, uh, what's going on in my head at the time was the response, right? Um, We had planned and practiced and prepared, which goes back to the lessons learned. From 1996 up to 2000, 2001... Rudy Giuliani had constantly planned and prepared for crises in the city. West Nile virus. We used to do mock drills and 
tabletop exercises and all this stuff constantly, monthly. Uh, nobody ever imagined this type of attack. However, there were plans and protocols in place That's to right. make sure that if something ever happened, we had the manpower, the resources, the equipment to get it to where it had to be. And on that morning, when that second plane came through the mm-hmm. north side of Tower 2 is when I realized we were under attack. Mm-hmm. One, the city closed. I closed the city for the first time, I think, in its history. Two, the response was overwhelming. Every fire department, every firehouse, every police precinct, it was all hands on deck. And um, and everybody knew where they were going, what they were going to do, how they were going to do it. And um, it, was, di- it was going yeah, quite yeah. well until the... Until the first yeah. building came down. The difference, uh, I actually was in Nairobi in the, in the last uh, terrorist attack there. I arrived in Nairobi two hours before it happened. And I expected that they would do as you guys did, shut down the city. And it was completely like night and day. I mean, it takes mm-hmm. forever, you know, when you don't have the preparation, when you don't have the, the, the people on the ground to do it. It was just a much different reaction. And I thought, you know, we take a lot for granted now that we have... A police force that's trained and ready to do that. So. And and you know what that 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 one that one word preparation yeah. is the is the point that you know the when you talk about lessons learned, mm-hmm. if we learned anything from nine eleven about responding to terrorism, mm-hmm. it's being prepared for yeah. terrorism. That's what Eisenhower being said prepared. About wars, right? yeah. The security elements, you know, in in your residential building, security element in your commercial buildings, the security element in the city, and then your response plans. What happens mm-hmm. if somebody gets through? What happens if there is an attack? What are you going to do? Who's going to respond? Mm-hmm. How are they going to respond? Yeah. We're going to be coming up for a break, but when we come back from the break, Roni, what I like to ask you now, you wrote a novel, uh, The Grave About the Grave, and it's about fears of this happening again. Um, so, not that it's a pleasant thought that it might happen again, but it may, and Bernie will talk about his novel, Grave Above the Grave, and about if there's possibilities of the a future, a future terrorist attack. I mean, Dottie, I'm on the edge right of my if, seat. Yeah, I'm, I'm me locked too. in right now. So, so we'll be right back, <laughs> right after the break. No one's gonna call; they're just gonna listen. I yeah. know it. It's I on real estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. We're back with Bernie Couric, and we just got through talking about 9-11. I want to talk about the novel that Bernie wrote, The Grave Above the Grave, and then I just want to talk about his the security company and what he does now and how... He's helped me, and he's helped me in a situation that I had, and he uh, really uh, will tell you how he can help you if you need it and what you can do to make yourself safer. Uh, but let's just start with the novel that you wrote. Uh, so uh, here's the thing. Uh, you know, I've written two books prior. Both of those were bios, um, back-to-back, um, to basically capture my whole life. And during the course of this, uh, a friend of mine, Chris Ruddy, who's the chairman and founder of Newsmax Media, 
we were having dinner one night, and he said, listen, with all this stuff in your head, like you, all, all these years in the Middle East and terrorism and 9-11, you should do a novel. Mm-hmm. You should put something on paper and do a novel. And uh, I came up with an idea. So I wrote a novel about a fiction New York City police commissioner, present day, that gets involved in a terrorism investigation after one of his cops are killed in Midtown. And, um, but it's got a touch of reality to it because it takes you back through 9-11. In the book, that police commissioner um, on 9-11 was a captain in the first precinct, which is here, right in this precinct where the World Trade Center was. So all his reflection in the book is actually my reflection on what happened that day. And um, so it takes you through this counterterrorism investigation and, you know, it turns into a worldwide hunt for the people that did this. And it made for a compelling read. So, oh, uh, sure. you know, so some of the stuff is, as as Chris Ruddy said, I should do, and I did. Um, some of the stuff are the fears I have. You know, how will we, when people ask me constantly, what do you think? Could there be another 9 11? Um, you know, do I foresee people flying planes into buildings like they did on that day? No. But you know what? If we had a series of multiple attacks, on the same day at the same time in different cities around the country, I promise you it's going to close down the country. Well, the um, idea also the, that people would get in a plane and fly into a new building was kind of foreign to all of us, right? That there were people that were that uh, caught up in their Oh, ideology. the suicide bombers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, we didn't think that, <laughs> that people do that. Well, and yeah, it, that's, and that's a really good point because nobody – in our society, you know, that's that's behavior that nobody really understands. They don't comprehend. Yeah. But if you ever sat through a debriefing with one of these people that do this stuff, um, I was actually in, in Amman, Jordan, when they captured Sajida, the, the, the woman bomber that was involved in the blowing up the Grand Hyatt and the Radisson in the days in uh-huh. back in 2005, to listen to her in a debriefing as to why she did this, why she wanted to do this. It's pretty insane. So well, you, you just can't yeah. you can't grasp their. their and they don't oh. value life. They value that afterlife, and I don't. I, you know, their life on this earth. I don't really think they value. But let me ask you. So, so you did this book, and you did another book, and then you're very involved with jail reform. Uh, yep. In what way would you reform prisons? Just, uh, I mean, in a nutshell. We don't. We don't have that long. Uh, yeah. we only okay. About, we'll have yeah, to have you back. <laughs> we'll want you to come back. We, no, we want I'm you to come well, back. Well, listen. I'm curious. On, what on would a you short change? note, give us a cliffhanger. You'll come yeah, back and talk yeah, on about. A, it. On a short note, I, I was uh, intimately involved in the uh, in the First Step Act, the the recent bill that the the president signed um, as a part of the um, the criminal justice reform campaign. Uh, by the White House, by Jared Kushner and, and Donald Trump. Um, one of the things that I pushed for um, was that, you know, we we take people that made mistakes and we stick them in prison for a long time. I'm not talking about bad people that do bad things. We're not I'm talking about, about killers, right? I'm not talking not about killers. Murderers. I'm not talking about rapists, murderers. I'm talking about people, you know, we take kids, young kids that are addicted to drugs and we stick them in federal prison for 10 years. 15 years. We give them these long sentences. We stick them in prison. We don't give them any any work skills, mm-hmm. vocational skills, work ethic. We teach them nothing 
and then we send them back into society. And make it impossible for them to get a job. Well, it's, in, it's impossible primarily, number one, because they're a convicted felon. Right. And when you're a convicted felon, the chances of you getting real work at that point is probably 95% diminished. But then when they don't have any work skills on top of it, mm-hmm. you destroy their lives. And then people in Washington sit around and wonder why the recidivism rate's yeah. going up. Why are they coming back to prison? Well, if they don't have anywhere to go and they can't get a job, that's why they're coming that's back. Like they're so home. that's that's one of the things. But would there's you, there's many things that should be changed. Would you restore changed. the right to a vote for people that once they've served their time? I mean, you serve your debt to society. It's yeah, I, I think I think the voting issue. I think people focus on it more than mm-hmm. more than the importance of what it really is. But when and, and this this is a good point to your question. Once they do their time, yeah. here's the reality. You're never finished doing your time. Got it. Mm. You're a convicted felon until the day you die. That that standard, that that piece of of you has been removed into forever. Of course, but so, but, but do you think that you should be able to vote? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. after after you've done your sentence, after yeah. you've done your probation, they should give you back as much of your life as they can. Yeah, and that would be voting as well. But I'll tell you this. That. I, I, I absolutely think they should be able to vote, but that's the least of their problems. It's really getting a job and being able to that's have exactly a life right. again. Yeah, you know? I agree, I but mean, anything so. we do to stigmatize people after yeah. they've paid their debt, I think, is wrong. You know, I mean, but I once you have yeah. convicted felon, it doesn't matter. You're stigmatized. That's right. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. Like even if you, you know, if you had like a, you know, I, I, I know someone's son that maybe was in his first year of college and maybe he was with a girl that was 17 and you know he's living with that you know and a label that they put on him when he was a kid yeah but Dottie you know what that that's like one issue you have people sitting in federal prison for selling a whale's tooth on eBay you have commercial fishermen sitting in prison that caught too many fish you have somebody that here this is a really good one for you this is a really good one for you somebody enhances their income on a mortgage application Guess what? The face. Federal prison. <laughs> I like federal that term. Prison. I know, I know many of them. <laughs> many people yeah. that have Listen gone to, to that, federal listeners. prison. Listen to that, listeners. If you many, enhance and lie on that application, Bernie's telling you it's a federal offense. And and it's not just it's not just one count. If you're convicted, it's you know it's mail fraud, it's wire fraud, it's um, you know bank fraud. Yeah. Um, there's all this stuff that goes on. For something, you know, you have a young kid trying to buy his first home. Mm-hmm. He enhances his income on the mortgage application because he wouldn't get the loan otherwise. And, uh, you know, he gets caught up in some audit and he gets, uh, you know, he gets charged and he gets sent off to federal prison for 18 you months. You think we incarcerate too many people? In this Way country? too many. Yeah. Listen, prison is for bad people that do bad things. To keep them from doing we, bad things again. People, uh, people yeah. that we're afraid of should be in prison. Mm-hmm. Not people that made mistakes, not people that we're mad at. We send everybody to prison. And it's it's driven by the media. A lot of it's driven by the media. He got a slap on the hand because, you know, he did something. All right, it, did, it, did it really deserve prison? Was prison necessary? Yeah. You've turned him into a convicted felon. Mm-hmm. You've taken his civil and constitutional rights. You've destroyed his life until the day he dies. Okay, well, let's stick him in prison, too. 
Yeah, and it's you know, just it's, it's wrong. much different to hear on the news somebody got four years. And yeah, but like, oh, not really, a big deal. But, let me, but but when for somebody who heard four years, it's a different thing when you hear it, right? I mean, that's what I try to say to people. Unless you're sitting there listening to the judge tell you four years, it's that's not a slap on the wrist. That's well, listen, here's the bottom line, and this is what I think people don't understand: when you go to prison, it's like dying with your eyes open. Mm-hmm. Your whole life goes on without you in it, and O'Day is like a week. A week is like a month. A month is like a year. That's what you live in. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because a lot of these folks, they don't have a voice. And just listening to Bernie talk about some of the things that we should be doing for them, it's you know, it's quite interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh-huh. we'll yeah, and I think it's people being more aware of it yeah. because media has gone out of hand and it's really not about what's real. It's just kind of people's opinions. And the public really doesn't know. It doesn't. So hearing it from you, it's. I hope you come back. Now let me ask you currently, what are you up to? You have a security company? I, I have a, a company. It's called the Carrot Group. Um, I do some private consulting, um, uh, crisis management issues, leadership issues, um, security-related issues. Uh, you know, some of my clients are real estate people in the city uh, that – you know, whether it's critical infrastructure in their buildings, whether it's architectural design for security purposes, um, you know, it, whether it's technology. And then that's a big one these days. Uh, technology, cameras, uh, there's surveillance systems, their internal systems, uh, and accountability issues to make sure those things work. You know, you hire companies to come in and do stuff like that. And then you come to find out when somebody comes in to do an audit or something happens bad in your building that, you know, your cameras didn't work or they whatever the case may be. So we look at a bunch of different stuff like that. So is it so would you would it be like a regular like just a person that would call you? Would it be a company? In other words, how do they reach you? And, and, and you're saying security. Well, that's broad. So Donnie, they can reach me through you. They can. Yes, you can call me. I have the <laughs> exactly. number. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, just, and I assure you, like, you know, I'm, I'm asking because truthfully, security encompasses a lot of things. Okay. Yeah. And it encompasses the buildings. And we have developers that are building great buildings. But you want to make sure they're secure. You want to make sure they're secure. And also people in general. You know, you had a problem. Yes. Uh, Donnie You're had gonna, a problem. He did, and we're in the middle of a break, <laughs> so I'll let you finish yeah, I it. Remember right? All that. let's, let's you talk remember about I was petrified. Petrified. Yes, well, he's, we'll be right back. You're listening to I Am Real Estate. I'm Dottie Herman. I'm here with Bernie Carrag, Jerry Feeney, and Ace Wanna Soup Up. We'll be right back after the break. It's I on Real Estate. Got a question? Call 866-970-9622. Here's Douglas Elements CEO, Dottie Herman. Okay, we're back. You're listening to I on Real Estate. We're here, and we're so lucky to have him here. We're all kind of spellbound. We could listen to him for another two hours or more, and we've asked him to come back. But anyhow, Bernie Carrick has a company that he's started on. Uh, for security, and I said security encompasses a lot of things, and uh, he was just going through some of the things that he does, and somebody brought up that, and I, th- I think I said it in the beginning of the show or somewhere in the show that I 
I had a problem and uh, with somebody who was kind of for a while following me or mm-hmm. appearing mm-hmm. for harassing you and, harassing, and calling right? with all different names and pretending he was all different people and then he'd be in the place that I lived and he'd call and say oh you know I'm down and with different names and so eventually um, and someone said well call Bernie you know and so I did <laughs> and he helped me so what first of all how do we reach you I mean you can always get me and, and I will get get him you, you know what the, honestly Donnie uh, I'm all over social media the, the, whether just, it's Twitter uh, Instagram um, you know so the, they should the, follow you yeah they should yeah. follow me uh, the carrot all, group dot uh, com uh, you know with my name uh, so uh, you know and you can you can take a look at the website and see exactly what it is we do um, but on the security element, uh, you know, what happened to you, uh, as we talked about during the break, happens to a lot of people. And social media today um, gives complete lunatics a voice. It does. Um, and, you know, not only does it give them a voice, but it puts them in a position where they can sort of monitor what you do and where you go. And as I said earlier during the break, uh, you know, some of my clients, I'll tell them, you know, if you're going to. You're going to talk about, you know, you want to promote a restaurant. You want to promote a, a venue. You know, that's fine. But don't do it while you're there. Mm. Don't put, you know, don't put in an Instagram photo, you know, I'm hanging at uh, Cipriani's uh, because your stalker who's just waiting for that thing mm-hmm. to show up, uh. he's going to jump to Cipriani's the second he sees it. You want to say you were Cipriani's? You could say it. 15 but minutes after you're in the car and you're you know, gone. That's, that's a, a good, good idea. Yes. That is really a great mm-hmm. idea because everyone wants to be in real time and in the moment. And if you're posting in the moment, uh, you know what, though, they that, know that exactly 15, where you are. And we, that 15 minutes is still close enough that to the 15 moment. 15 minutes is close enough, number one. Number two, there's nothing more important than your safety and security. Nothing. So for people out there that are in a position where they get stalked, and I've got... Right now, I've got three or four different people that I help. Um, you know, there's nothing more important than your safety and security. So you have to watch what you do. And you can't disappear in this world with social media. I mean, no. you can't. It's impossible. <laughs> well, listen, you, know? you can't disappear, period. Yeah. Forget about social media. Social media just enhances it. But at the end of the day, you know, it's uh, last week, we two weeks ago, we had that homicide in Staten Island. Uh, you know, everybody thought it was a mob hit. Right, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, no, I heard about that. You know, yeah. so I, I did, I was on Piscopo's radio show and I said, look, you know, they're going to, it'll be 72 hours, you know, maybe less. They'll get the guy and, and everybody's like, well, yeah, but how, how are you so sure? Today with technology, even in a residential area, mm-hmm. in a residential area, the chances of there being mm-hmm. ring you know, monitors on doorbells, you know how much data you collect from those if you want. Um, There's, you know, you walk here, walk to this building, there isn't an inch on the streets around this building where you're not right. captured on some camera. camera. By the way, when that, when um, that Staten Island uh, killing happened, uh, did you 
think to yourself, this doesn't sound professional. When I when I read the account, I'm like, this doesn't sound <laughs> no, listen. to me. This sounds <laughs> no, like amateur no. to me. It was, it, when I heard when I heard twelve rounds and he was hit six <laughs> times, I yeah. said, No, it's I don't think it sounds mob. I have a better shot than that. You know, yeah. But, you, know. you know, the old time you know, in the old days when these guys did this stuff, it was two shots in the back of the head and that was it, you're right. done. Right. It was a person not on. at their home and their family. Yeah, there, right. But, so. Okay. So I because so we're gonna. Everyone should follow Bernie, and on top and read of the that, book too. read the, the book. Yeah. Tell us the name. You again. are such an interesting person, and mm. you've lived it. You know, I I kind of listen to a lot of people who speak it, but have not lived it, and it's very different when you've lived it and then speak it. Uh, and security is, you know, I mean, look, I'm a woman, and truthfully, I take a lot that I just don't think about, you know, because you can only be so cautious. And with social media, it's tough. But there are things that you can learn. And uh, buildings, which you you counsel uh, and, and work with probably the architects and stuff, how to make them safe. And even the security systems in the building. That's right. Because I won't mention the building I'm in, but it's a great building, and I love it. But... Uh, the guy got to my door a bunch of times, and uh, he would just say that it was for me, you know. That was, and, that was scary. When that and was then that one was day he had a, it was like six or seven in the morning, and said when I work out, I had just come back from working out, and you know there was a, a knock at my door. Somebody got up, yeah. and I was like, and I have to ask you this question. So I was like, well, I was like, I now I'm, I knew somebody was because they were it was a while already. And I called security. I said, there's somebody at my door. I'm not opening it. It's like 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock in the morning. And it was this kid. Mm-hmm. And um, they called. They got the NYPD. And they told me he's a bad guy. And he right. was a kid. But he said he was just from India. Somebody gave him money to deliver something to me. I said, you don't know me. Why would you do that? And so the security systems in the building sometimes can be sloppy, too. Mm-hmm. Well, they could be sloppy, or they could not, be non-existent. Well, they're not. You know, the, the, the bottom line is, and, and I think the the good thing about building, especially in New York City today, um, there's a lot of things taken into consideration going into these buildings. Um, you have intelligent video. Basically, you have video te- technology that will identify a foreign package left in a vestibule. Mm-hmm. Somebody walks in and puts a package in and walks away. Because that's easy, it's gonna, right? To it's going to flag. A it's going to flag. You know the security services, the the monitors, the control center, and it's going to identify. Tell them you got to watch this thing, whatever this thing is. Um, you know, it, you have to be. You have to plan. You have to prepare. You have to, mm-hmm. you know, put in the right measures going into it. And for builders, for builders overall, do it from the beginning. To do anything retroactive, right. you're paying three times more. Yeah, it's much cheaper so you know what? Going in. Do it right. Do it up front. And what about? Do would you advise people have their like their home, like a single family home? We're talking about apartments and buildings. What about the millions of residential people that have houses? Well, I listen, have cameras we, all over the place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, in this day and age, especially in this day and age. Cameras, uh, yeah. they don't cost, they, you know, it's less than $100 per camera. Yeah. You know, there's a bunch of stuff that you and, can do in your residence, in your home, okay, and, to secure your and home. And light, too. What I kind mean, of things would you, again, 
what kind of things would you tell people to be like on the lookout? Because you know, uh, you know, for example, even with social media, I have a big following. I don't know half the people who they are, really. Okay, and I'll never forget. Uh, and then, of course, a lot of uh, people work for Douglas Elliman. Mm-hmm. When you get to eight thousand people, you just can't know them all. So I thought it was somebody agent. I said, you know, oh, you know, I, I'm really not feeling well. I'll try to meet you another time or two weeks from now. And uh, the guy wrote back like a couple of days later. You know, I'm not. I I don't know who you. I'm, I'm a. I don't know. I'm somebody, and he was just. I didn't know who he was, and I don't know who a lot of people are. So, and we all live in that world. Uh, what is, are there any signals that somebody should look for if you, or there that, that, that they might need to call you, or there's Listen, warning here's, signs. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that I think it's a matter of common sense. Do not I know? everyone has common sense. Do I, like, do I know them or not it's know not them? Common. Number one, right? right. Sure. Do I know them or I don't know them? If I don't know them, all right, don't trust anything. Don't trust, anything. Don't trust anybody. When you see somebody, you know, you get an email or you get a social media contact, that person could be anyone. Mm-hmm. Right. It could be anyone. Until you confirm that the person on the other end of that message is really who they say they are, until you do that, you cannot trust them. You have to because be a in, yeah. yeah, Yeah, in today's day and age, anything is possible. You can change your identity. You can change photos, mm-hmm. you know, by the thousands, so, you know. So if they ask for a meeting, let's just say they, they say, you know what, you're, you know, we, I want to sit down with you. Just pick your brain. What would you do, Bernie? Just Well, there's a screening process. Screening process. You know, yeah, you, you have to create a screening process to make sure that before, you know. Oh, gosh. I never do that. I know. I'm looking so at Dottie true. right now, and I don't do that either. <laughs> so. No, you, ha- you know, there has to be a screening process where there's a confirmation of who that person is, what they intend, what they want. You know, it's like somebody calling, you know, you talk can about. Can we take lessons? You can, talk, do we, can we use you to, for us to educate us better? Because I'm telling you, especially in our business with millions of people. Yesterday, somebody was saying, oh, like Facebook said, who are the last five people? Because there's some, some security thing that I go, look, I don't really know the last five people I answer. I don't even know who they are. Yeah. But I just try to answer them. Yeah, but so I have so much more to ask you. And we're coming to an end. Would you give us all that information again to find you? And I hope you, you come can, on the show today. You can again. reach me on the carrotgroup.com. Uh, Bernard Carrick on Twitter. Uh, Bernard Carrick on LinkedIn. I mean, uh, all the... And we uh, will what's, post what's the name it on my site. Uh, the the Grave Above the Grave is the novel. Okay. That's the Ordered on Amazon. Everybody should get it. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to read it. It sounds like a good one. Although I'll be scared to stay alone probably. <laughs> You'll have to go, Bernie. Afraid of <laughs> All right, Thank guys. You so Thank, much. You. Thank you. For- Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you. Really, it was great. I hope you come back again. Thank you. And uh, we'll post it on our social media sites, too. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Don't get too cold. It's still freezing out. And we'll be back next week. Eye on Real Estate with Dottie Herman is sponsored by Citizens Bank N.A. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.